called Sunday Mornings and the Dearest Place on Earth. And as I was thinking about Kim's uh, illustration, I was reflecting on my own experience. And our experience of Sunday morning can be so different, can't it? from what Kim is describing. The clock strikes 10.15. You look up from your article in the Sydney Morning Herald and you think, church, crap, I need to run. And so you're grabbing things and trying to pull things together. If you have kids, you're trying to pull the kids into the car. It's a frantic rush. You grab nappies, snacks, teeth, hair, clothes, car, into the car. You pull into the car park. It's 10.35. You're scurrying across the lawn. You run. You put the kids into adventurers. You come into the service. You spend the first 10 minutes of the worship service. You're just catching your breath for 10 minutes and thinking, where where am I? How did I get here? What, what am I doing this morning? As you kind of rub the sleep out of your eyes. Maybe for some of you, it's kind of like a mental battle that happens every morning. The clock goes off and in your head, there's a battle, church versus sleep. And you spend every Sunday morning trying to convince yourself that church is a better option than getting a little more sleep. Because when you think about it and reflect, you are tired. We had a big night. It was a long week. We're behind on the chores. Let's give it a miss this week. How can we grow to have something of Kim's passion for the Sunday morning? And that's really what this message is all about, that we would grow in having a fresh appreciation of and love for the Sunday morning gathering. Um, I want to have something of Kim's passion um, to be with her church on Sunday mornings. That's what I want. And so for us as a church, what I'm going to do is I'm going to approach this message with kind of three uh, questions. I'm going to spend the longest time on the second question. Um, The questions are, number one, if you take notes, why do we even meet on a Sunday? Like, have you ever wondered about that? Like, is it just a tradition? What does it say in the Bible about that? Why do we meet on a Sunday? Two Why do Sundays even matter? And that's where I'm really going to spend the longest amount of time. I'm going to review some of the uh, images that Dave uh, explained right back at the start of this series. And then thirdly, we're going to look at how can we make the most of our Sunday gatherings. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read about the very first church service ever. And um, then I'm going to pray for us. Acts chapter 2. Uh, set on a Sunday, the day of Pentecost is always a Sunday. It's seven weeks and a day, 50 days after the Passover. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and um, then I'm going to pray for us. And it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were in Jerusalem devout Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native tongue? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Ara- Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Why don't you join with me in praying? Lord, we want to pause this morning and thank you for this moment. Thank you for the privilege of coming and sitting underneath your word. And Lord, I just pray, would you stir us afresh by your Holy Spirit this morning? Would you help us to see something of your love and passion for the local church and in particular our Sunday morning gatherings? And I just pray you'd help me, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, question number one, why do we even meet on Sundays? Uh, if you're familiar with maybe reading something of the Old Testament or you have a few Jewish friends, I mean, why isn't the Sabbath on a Saturday? Why don't we even meet on a Saturday? I mean, what's with the Sunday thing anyway? Is it just like some tradition that we have? Well, Sunday is the day when uh, Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead in glory. It's his victory day. And because of Christ's victory over death in the Bible, uh, early on, Sunday was renamed as the Lord's Day. That's we read that in Revelation 1.10. That's the Lord's Day of victory. It's a victory day. More, Sunday, as a result, is no longer about rest from the work cycle. Uh, that's what the Sabbath was all about. You work for six days, and just like the Lord, on the seventh day, you rest. No, Sunday is no longer about that. It's actually a celebration of the finished work of Jesus, that he rose again on that day. Saturday was about rest from the previous six days because Saturday on the calendar is actually the last day of the week, the seventh day of the week. Sunday uh, is actually the first day of the week on the calendar. Now, if you're you know, Gen Y like me or Gen Z, I don't know what comes after. That might be a bit of a revelation for you. That's why they're called the weekends because they're, they're the, 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 the days that bookend the week, Sunday the first day, Saturday the seventh day of the week. So Sunday, the first day of the week, is the day on which the Lord said, let there be light. It's about new creation. Jesus rose on Sunday, and then he first appears to his disciples on a Sunday in John 2019. The birth of the church that we just read about uh, in the first church service in Acts chapter 2, which was our passage just before, was also on a Sunday. And so quickly, soon after, the church begins to meet on a Sunday. We see that in, uh, in the book of Acts and even in 1 Corinthians, right at the back end of the book. Uh, even the Westminster Confession of uh, Faith says the following about Sundays. It says, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath was the last day of the week, that's Saturday. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day, and it's to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. What's the point? Well, Sunday is meant to be a weekly celebration of Christ's victory over death and sin. And that's why it's renamed the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Victory Day. And as a result, it's not mainly about resting from work, but about celebrating what God's done. And that's why we meet as a church on a Sunday. Well, that's our first question. I told you it was going to be brief. 
Second question. This is going to be a bit longer, so let me brace yourself a little bit. Um, why do Sunday gatherings matter? You know, our culture kind of teaches us that faith is something private. It's something personal. It's something individual. I was even reading this week a, a review of a book uh, entitled the following, How to Be a Christian Without Going to Church. I mean, for us as a culture... That kind of makes sense in a way, doesn't it? If faith is something private and personal, I mean, why even bother with church? Isn't church kind of like a you know, bonus round or something, a little add-on? Um, there's a rise of a thing in our culture called the e-church, internet-based churches, where maybe you log on and you watch a, a, a sermon series or something like that, but you don't actually ever have to attend. Now, I just want to pause here before we get stuck into really addressing uh, this question, why do Sundays matter, to talk about what does even church mean to start off with? Um, And the point I want to make is that if you're a Christian, church is actually both what you do and who you are. See, church in the Bible isn't a building, it's a people. And it's both who we are and it's what we do. Church is the English translation of a Greek word. The Greek word is ekklesia. And ekklesia means kind of like assembly or gathering. That's what it means, to gather. And so gathering is integral to who we are as Christians. That's what we do. We gather. As Christians, we both gather and we are the gathering at the same time. Church is who you are and church is what we do as well. You do church and you are church, the church. Well, why do Sunday mornings even matter? I want to look at three metaphors that Dave used early in the series, and we're going to kind of pause and look at some of the implications of each of those. So let's get stuck in and address this question. Why do Sunday mornings uh, either matter? Uh, With my first point, and that is on Sunday, the temple gathers. I want to jump to a passage. It's going to be up on the screen, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16. And Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says the following thing. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He's speaking to the whole church here. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you guys, you're that temple. On Sunday, the temple gathers. Well, what is the temple even all about? The temple in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, was really about solving a big problem. And that big problem is how can a holy God meet with sinful people? How can a holy God meet with sinful people? Now, you might not think that's a, a problem at all, because I think the way we kind of think about holiness in our culture, it's kind of like... Better, better than now sort of thing, like, you know, I go to church and I do all the right things and I'm the kid that never got in trouble at class and that's kind of our perception of holiness, kind of being morally pure, which is kind of part of it, but it's not the full story whatsoever. Uh, holiness is both about being morally pure, but also about being completely unique. And so kind of a good illustration for thinking about holiness is to think about the sun, Now, the sun in our uh, solar system is completely unique. There's nothing like it. And in a sense, 
the sun, you can kind of think of it as being holy. And that's exactly what God is like. He is holy. He is morally pure, yes, but he's completely unique and he's powerful. Now, what does that mean about the sun? The sun is holy and it kind of radiates this power. And if you get close to something as holy and pure and powerful as the sun, you are going to be increasingly in danger. You are going to be increasingly, as you get closer and closer to the sun, risking being destroyed. And that is the problem we face as sinful people coming close to a holy God. His holiness, His pure essence burns like the sun. And for us as sinful people, just the the, the radiating power of His goodness means that we'll be destroyed. And we see that right in the beginning of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 4. You remember the, the situation with Moses where he comes and there's that burning bush that's not burning up. And suddenly he's awestruck and God says to him, don't come any closer. You're on holy ground. God says, danger, Moses, stop. You are coming near my holy presence. And so there's this problem in the Bible. How can a holy God meet with a sinful people? And the solution that God gives Moses early on in the Bible is a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, if you wish. And the back end of Exodus is all about how to build with these elaborate designs uh, this tabernacle, this tent of meeting place, the idea of being a place where sinful people could come and meet with a holy God. Now, if we jump forward in the Bible, uh, we get to uh, the, the book of Kings. And in 1 Kings, um, Samuel, uh, Solomon sorry, gets given the task of actually building a physical building, the actual temple that replaces the tabernacle with its holiest of holies. The point of the temple is that sinful people inside the temple get to meet with a holy God. That's what the temple is all about. You go to temple, you meet with God. You sacrifice, you worship, and you hear from God as well. It was God's gift to us. But for us as foreigners, we just simply couldn't be a part of it. We couldn't go in. We could definitely not go into the holiest of holies, the place where God's presence dwells. Only the high priest could do that once per year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, to meet into the presence of God himself. And that's the way it went until... John chapter 1, verse 14, when John writes and says, the word became flesh and dwelt, literally the word he uses is tabernacled amongst us. Jesus comes down and he pitches a tent in our presence. He sets up a new tent of meeting place, a place where we can meet with God. No longer is the temple a place, a physical place in Israel we need to go to, but the temple has now amazingly providentially come to us in the person of Jesus. He's come to visit us. And Jesus comes and explains that his body is the ultimate temple. He says that in John chapter 2, the very next temple. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up three days later. Referring to his body. He is the great priest. He is the great sacrifice. His flesh was the veil that was torn. His body is the broken and now restored temple. And so Paul looks out on the church and says to them in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Church, you all are the temple of God. Why? Like, what are you talking about, Paul? Like, why are we the temple of God? Well, church, we're the temple of God because we're Christ's body. 
we're his body. We are joined to him and he dwells in us. And, and so when we gather together on Sunday morning, the temple of God is coming together. The temple of God is gathering. Stones from the great temple are coming together to, to bring a picture of the great heavenly temple that God is building and where one day we'll all worship him for all of eternity. On Sunday morning, the temple gathers. Well, I want to ask a question. What's your view of Sunday mornings? Do you see a temple gathering? Do you see a temple gathering or do you just see another item off a busy week to check off? Do you see a temple gathering or do you see just kind of this thing where we do a few songs and message and see a few friends? Do you see a temple gathering or do you see a place where, if you're honest, you'd rather not be? On Sunday morning, the temple comes together. It gathers. What happens when the temple comes together on Sunday? Well, there's a number of things that happen. Back in our story on Acts chapter 2, 1 to 12, this amazing scene, all the disciples together, the Holy Spirit comes on that first Sunday, on the day of Pentecost. And, you know, this amazing scene with tongues of fire on their heads, and they're speaking all these different languages. But the point is that they're speaking these different languages, but what they're doing and in what they're speaking is they're worshiping. They're singing God's praises in all these different languages. And when the temple comes together, that's what happens. Worship happens. We worship. This is exactly what you do when you come into a temple. Now, just as a note, it doesn't mean that worship doesn't happen elsewhere. You know, we read in passages like Romans 12, 1, where it talks about uh, pouring out your body as a living sacrifice, that worship is kind of meant to be all of life, but, but it happens in a special way when the temple gathers. You know, Jesus himself says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. We come and we worship We worship our one true sacrifice. We worship by giving of ourselves and our money sacrificially. We come together and worship. And I want to ask us as a church to think this morning, do we come together in expectation that we'll meet with God? Do we come on a Sunday morning ready to worship? You know, my prayer for my own life and for us as a church that we'd have something of the experience of the psalmist in Psalm 84, one of the sons of Korah, who says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Well, when the temple gathers together, the people respond in worship. But not only the people respond in worship, when the temple gathers, God speaks. You know, after our passage um, in uh, chapter 2 of Acts, verse 14, it says that, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them all. You know, after the Spirit comes and now the church is born on that first Sunday, 
the very next thing that happens is the very first Sunday sermon. Peter stands up and addresses the people from God's Word. And that's what happens when the temple gathers. We come to meet with God. We come to hear God speak. And that's my question for us this morning. Do we come in expectation that God will speak to us through His Word? Do we come expecting to hear from Him? Sunday mornings matter because on Sunday... The temple gathers and we meet with God. And when we see this rightly, we don't want to miss a moment. I have to be there. I'm gathering with the temple. I'm going to meet with God and I wonder what he'll do. That's the first point. On Sunday, the temple gathers. Second point, on Sunday, not only the temple, but the body gathers as well. I want to read you from 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 12, uh, the second half of verse 24, Paul writes the following. He says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you... He's speaking to the whole church here. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? It's a beautiful image of rich diversity but profound unity. And that's exactly what we see right at the birthplace of the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 9. It says, and how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus Pontus and Asia, Phrygra, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. It's this multicultural mix of many different ethnicities coming together. Really diverse, but joined together. Jews and Greeks, slaves and wealthy, barbarians. You know, when you think about barbarians um, that Paul describes in Colossians being come together, you know, we normally think about uh, kind of guys with helmets and like horns on them and furry coats and things. Barbarians, really, you should think like ESL. Um, they were called barbarians because they were called barbars because to Greek-speaking people and Latin-speaking people, it just sounded like they were saying ba 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 all the time. So they called them barbarians because they were barbars. That's what their name was. People from ESL background, people from wealthy educated backgrounds, people from, from wealthy uh, Jewish backgrounds, poor people, slaves and masters all coming together. The most unusual, eclectic mix of people, completely diverse but completely unifying, joined together as one body. Such is the close relationship between you and Jesus Christ that he describes you as his body. Different gifts, gift of faith, to some, the gift of prophecy. To others, the gift of discernment. To others, the gift of knowledge. To others, the gift of teaching. To others, the gift of encouragement. To others, the gift of administration. I mean, why don't we pause and just take a moment, just look around at the people around you, just here in this room. I mean, look around at all these people here. 
we are joined to one another as one body. Let me ask you a question, church. What's your view of Sunday morning? Do you see our body coming together? Or do you see distant relatives? Do you see Christ's body gathering, really diverse but unified together? Well, what happens when the body comes together on Sunday? Well, when the body gathers, firstly, all the gifts are present. Uh, right at the start of his letter uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul uh, writes this, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way, speaking to the church, you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. And he goes on, verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. When the body gathers, all the gifts are present. The complete number of gifts Addressing the whole church, he says, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Why? Because you're a body. God has given you, church, all you need. It's all present. But all the gifts and all the parts, they're only present when the body gathers. They're only present all together when the body comes together. Do you realize that that? You're an integral part of this body of Christ. Do you realize that? Do you realize that when you miss a Sunday, this body is missing a part? Did you realize that? This body is missing a vital part. The gifts that only you and you alone bring. Secondly, not just when the body gathers, all the gifts are present, but when the body gathers, all the parts, they care for one another. Uh, Paul writes, uh, again, those two uh, verses I shared before in verse 24, he says, But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there might be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. No division, but the, this beautiful picture of the members kind of caring for one another. Um, in verse 7, it goes on to say that the purpose of the spiritual gifts that are given, all the different parts that are given to the body, is for the common good. The parts uh, are varied, yes, but all the parts are necessary for the body to function. Do you realize that you're joined to the same body? Do you realize that when you suffer, this body feels it? Do you realize that when you're rejoicing, this body feels it? Do you realize that you're never alone? Do you realize that you're, you're close, closer than surrounded by friends? You are part of a body. But more than that, again, when the body gathers, not only does all the gifts are present in that moment, not only uh, when the body gathers, all the parts care for each other, but when the body gathers, the world witnesses Christ. John thirteen thirty five. it says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When we gather together, church, we show the world Christ. 
By this, they will know that you're my disciples. Our gathering, it's an integral part of our mission. We're a visible expression of his work in the world. More than that, we're his voice in the world as we go and share the good news. When you think of Sunday, do you see a body coming together? Do you see yourself as being a vital part? Or do you see yourself as unnecessary? That you could sneak away and no one would ever even notice. That you're not needed. Do you realize that you're a part of a body? Not only that, not only that on Sunday the body gathers, but on Sunday the bride gathers as well. And this is probably one of my favorite points. Uh, Ephesians 5, we know it so well. Let me read verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, such a beautiful picture of the tender care of Christ for his body. That he loves her so much that he would lay down his life for her. I want to ask you a third time. What's your view of Sunday mornings? Do you see Christ's bride gathering? Do you see something so incredibly precious to Jesus Christ that he was willing to die for it? Well, what happens when the bride comes together on a Sunday? Well, firstly, when the bride gathers... We grow to be like Jesus. We prepare to be with him. You know, verse 26 is something we so often use to address husbands about how they should treat their wives. Um, verse 26 says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so often we use that verse to encourage husbands. But did you realize that that, that verse is primarily about what Jesus does for us as the church? That he washes us with his word. That he is in the business of molding and shaping us that he might receive us one day as blameless, perfected. You know, are you feeling as though you're not making any progress in your walk with God? I just want to encourage you this morning. Throw yourself into the bride. Come prepared to be molded and washed by his word on a Sunday. Come with a tender heart, ready for Jesus Christ to wash it and shape it with his word. But secondly and finally, when the bride gathers, we remember our glorious hope. You know, there can be so much discouragement and distraction in life, can't there be? We're discouraged by difficulties, difficulties at work. You know, Friday afternoon, you're ready for Saturday and you get that angry email accusing you of all different things. You know, the discouraging conversation with the child. The long, unrelenting physical illness. We're discouraged by difficulties. More than that, we can be distracted just by life and its busyness. When we gather as a bride, we, we remember the coming banquet. The bridal celebration. We remember Christ's great love for us. 
that God didn't leave us in our rebellion against him facing death, but he came after us in his son. That holy God that we couldn't be with would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross, to bear all our shame and sin. That we could come near a holy God, a privilege we don't deserve. And when we gather on a Sunday and when we gather before this word, we remember, we adjust our perspective afresh on this world and, and on this life. And we remember our beautiful hope that one day we get to be with Christ. And when we, we see rightly, we see it's a privilege to gather. Well, why are Sundays are important? Well, Sundays are important because we gather as a temple. We gather as the body and we gather as the bride. Well, the third and final question, in light of all this, how can I make the most of Sunday mornings? You know, I was thinking about this question this week and I was reminded of a few years ago when Charlotte and I, we went on a dinner date and we went out for dinner and it was lovely. And just kind of on the spur of the moment, we decided that we'd go to see a movie as well. You know, kind of treat yourself a little bit. Go and see a movie. And just to show you how date it was, we went to see Frozen, actually, and, um, at the movies. And um, the decision was purely impulse. There was no planning. There was no preparation whatsoever. And in truth, our lack of planning had no effect whatsoever about how we enjoyed the movie. We were out to be entertained. We enjoyed it just the same. Unfortunately... We can treat our Sunday morning meeting in exactly the same way. We can treat it as an optional extra and we don't even think to prepare. But how we prepare for our Sunday gatherings is directly related to how much we benefit from our time together. And really, by way of application, that's my point, really in a nutshell. I don't want to burden you with multiple points. I just have one simple application point for us uh, to finish this morning. And that's simply just we need to prepare. We need to prepare before we come together. It could be as little as five minutes. Five minutes that might radically change your spiritual life and your experience of church. Five minutes that might lead to a deeper love and enjoyment of Christ. Well, how do we best prepare? I just think there's two simple categories to think in as we prepare. We prepare to respond and to receive. We prepare to receive and respond. We, we prepare to receive inwardly. We prepare in, inwardly and we prepare outwardly to respond as well. To receive and to respond. That's how we prepare. Firstly, we prepare to receive. We prepare our hearts to meet with God. We ask God to help us to see Sunday morning and what it's all about. And this, friends, is probably the biggest battle, just to remember, what are we even doing on Sunday morning? Why are we even coming? That we're meeting with Him, that His temple is coming together, that His body is coming together, that His bride is coming together. We ask God to, to soften our heart towards His voice, that we might have the Holy Spirit to come and work in us, molding us and shaping us, to make us receptive to this word as we come and hear it preached. 
you know, a great moment to kind of prepare in that way is just simply to join the prayer team, 10, 15 every week uh, before church in the kitchen, just through here. These are powerful times of preparing our hearts and asking God to move in our midst. We prepare to receive, but also to respond. We prepare to respond in worship, in serving, and in singing. We, we ask God to help us to serve using the gifts that He's given us. We ask God that, that He'd reveal some people that, that, that we might be able to bless. We ask God that He'd help us to come with an attitude of worship. That He'd help me to, to turn from sin, to repent, and to live differently in light of what I hear on a Sunday. It's just simple as receive and respond. Well, if you've got a pen with you or a phone, why don't you just write down this one question? One question to consider this week as we close. What is one way I could better prepare for Sunday? Just one way. You know, maybe it's just to take some time on Saturday night and or Sunday morning to pray. Maybe if, 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 if you know you're one of those people that's consistently late every week, to set an earlier alarm. So you're getting up earlier in the morning so that you're there on time and ready to respond. Maybe it's taking some time to get organized for church on the night before, packing everything for the kids in advance. Maybe it's making a decision simply that you're going to come every Sunday. It sounds crazy, but to say that you're going to come 52 Sundays in a year, I've heard of a few people that are doing the 52 Sundays challenge where they're dedicating to coming every week so that even when they're on holidays, they're going to go, okay, I'm on holidays, but I'm going to find a local church. I'm going to go to church every week. Maybe it's making time for five minutes each Sunday to pray for God to help you to receive and respond. Maybe it's leading your kids through some time to prepare for Sunday. And or maybe it's to join our prayer group before or even SG College before on a Sunday. Taking five minutes, church, to prepare could radically change your life and your experience of church forever. Well, in closing, Sunday mornings in the dearest place on earth, they're so precious. So precious that Kim and her family were prepared to walk 13.7 kilometers to church. Why are they so significant? Because we're gathering as a temple, a body, a bride. How can I make the most of the Sunday gathering? Simply by coming prepared, prepared to meet with God and to experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Church, would we grow in fresh appreciation of and love for the Sunday morning gathering? Why don't I pray as the band comes up? Lord Jesus, so often we see your church in this world in rags and tatters. We see the brokenness. We see the difficulty. We see pain. Lord, I just want to ask this morning that you'd help us by your Holy Spirit to adjust our vision. Pray that you would help us to see something of this moment on a Sunday like you see it.
coming together of your holy temple. The coming together of your son's precious body. The coming together of your beloved bride. Lord, would we live in the light of this. Lord, would we take hold of the opportunity that Sunday mornings afford us. And would you be all the more glorified in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.